So today's sermon is from apathy to zeal, cultivating a dynamic faith, right? Awakening a vibrant and visionary relationship with God. We got to ramp up to Easter. We can't just crawl into Easter. We got to ramp up to Easter. We got to start like priming the pump, right? You got to prime the pump before the water comes out. And you got to sometimes pour some water in so the water can come out. So today we're going to be talking about from going from apathy to zeal. The first text scripture can be found in Revelation. And there's a portion of Revelation. It's like Jesus' epistles, letters to the church through John's Revelation. And Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 through 16 says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Ouch. We don't want to be lukewarm, but we understand that there's an entropic force, a force of entropy. We understand that in Moses' time, Moses' initial thing with Pharaoh was, let my people go make sacrifices. Let us re-engage our faith. Let us re-engage our covenant. And he said, Pharaoh said, no, make them work harder so they're too tired to worship. But Papa, we were wired to worship, right? And so he made them build bricks without straw. And so sometimes there is like a spirit of Babylon that makes us build, build bricks without straw and we're just too tired to worship. And that, and that that leads to entropy, right? And sometimes being average as a Christian leaks you back to mediocrity without your recognition or realization. Nobody intends to be lukewarm. All right, let's read the book of Daniel, right? And we're going to talk about an excellent spirit that Daniel had. Now, remember, Daniel was uh, a Jew from exile that went to Babylon. He was like kidnapped, right? Him and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those are, you know, those, those are their Babylonian names. And they were kidnapped. They were smart. They were good looking. Some theologians say they might have been become eunuchs because you couldn't be that close to the king and his harem. Um, he doesn't say that. Nobody knows. But there's a possibility they try to make them forget their language. They try to make them eat pork, right? That's where the Daniel fast came for 10 days. Um, and so Daniel had three kings. He worked for three different kings. And always the queen, he always rose to the top. And Daniel's relationship with the court of other magicians, astrology, and other people of other faiths led to the Magi going to visit Jesus, which they brought a significant amount of gifts which probably funded Jesus' journey to Egypt, which saved his life as a child, right? Um, but I digress. <laughs> Daniel 5, 12 to 14, and then we're going to read 29 to 31 from the New King James Version. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit. Ooh, somebody say excellent spirit. Somebody say, Lord, put in me an excellent spirit. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas was found in this Daniel. Ooh, ooh, that's an anointing to make some money. <laughs> that's an anointing to fund the mission. That's an anointing to raise your station. That's an anointing that will put your kids in a better school. That's an anointing that can help the kingdom of God. All right, 
I'm going too much. Let, let me slow down. Explain the enigmas were found in this in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, but Belshazzar, his son, his ratchet son. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who's one of the captives from Judah when my father, the king, brought from Judah? I heard of you, that the spirit of God is in you, and that the light of understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. That Belshazzar gave the command, so that Daniel interpreted the dream, and the dream, probably, the dream was like, you're going to take this L. But he said it with such anointing, such authenticity, and such grace. Now look what the king gave him. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck. And, and, and we're not talking about that 10-carat gold, decap, decap gold. We're talking about that 20-carat gold from Guyana in Queens. Amen. Um, and he put the chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom uh, about 62 years old. And then Daniel started working for Darius as well. That's the lion's den story. But So we talk about... The first text scripture was talking about lukewarmness. And the second text scripture is talking about the spirit of excellence. So we're talking about going from apathy to zeal. In the opening statement, I want to say, in a world where spiritual indifference goes unnoticed, there's a call for vibrant and dynamic faith to awaken us from spiritual slumber. It's a divine invitation to experience the fullness of Christ, breaking the chains of complacency. Right, so we know the binary between good and bad, but we don't understand that there is a more nuanced binary between average and anointing, and that's what we want to talk about. So the overview is that in this journey from lukewarm faith to dynamic faith, deeply rooted in God, we're going to explore uh, certain shifts and definitions, calling us to an active and intentional discipleship. So we could deal with the zeal and the spirit of excellence. So allow me to say that there's power in language. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Most of legalese is understanding the nuance of language behind laws, right? And there's even like stuff about Latin and understanding precedents. So understand that words can help shape our world. It's been said that words are the wealth of the wealthy and knowledge is the power of words. So I'm going to give some definitions, right? Definitions defined to help us refine. So this, when I talk about the power of language, right? You can spiral this message for work. You can spiral this message as a wife, as a husband. You can spiral this message as a parent, right? Where we understand that good enough principle is, is it's good enough, right? We don't want to be obsessive, but we understand that there are kairos moments, opportune times where we have to operate in zeal, where we have to operate in commitment, where we have to operate um, 
in the spirit of sacrifice, right? And so I want you to have the zeal. So when these opportune times come up, you're ready. Because God blesses all of us with certain windows of favor, right? You know, oh, I had I had this tax return. Oh, I got this lawsuit money. Oh, my uncle died and made me off. Oh, my boss offered me a, a management training. These are certain opportunities that come up in our lives. And I want you to have the right definitions as a Christ follower so we could just walk in a higher level of zeal and power. So define the terms, right? There's the term nominal Christian. When I met with, what's his name from Brooklyn Tabernacle? Oh, Pastor. What's the pastor's name from Brooklyn Tabernacle again? It just escaped me. Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala. Thanks, Anna. I met with Jim Cimbala before I started the church. And I asked him, you know, I brought his staff donuts. And, you know, I asked him, like, for some advice. And he says, you have to come against a nominal spirit. People do not try hard in the realm of the kingdom of God in New York City, right? Because life is so hard and so fast. No one has the energy to, to, to do certain things. So we have to be careful about nominal Christianity, which is Christian in name only, right? These are like believers that the, the parable of the sower that went in rocky ground and sprouted quickly but had no deep roots. Then there's the word apathetic Christian. These are indifferent believers, they don't care. They're like the rich young ruler. Then there's lukewarm Christians, neither hot nor cold. There's carnal Christians. They're led by worldly desire. And then there's shallow Christians. There's surface level faith. So we have to understand these terms because all of us slip into these terms because when you stay, when you think you're staying still, you're, you're like on a slow conveyor belt going backwards. You got to run just to crawl forward. So defining the terms, let's look at some contrast, right? There's nominal Christian versus dynamic disciple. Right? Dynamic disciple is a learner of Christ that leans on the Holy Spirit for dunamis power. Then there's apathetic Christian versus kingdom-minded Christian. These kingdom-minded Christians think of the kingdom, right? They pray for the success of Times Square Church, of Brooklyn Tabernacle. They pass a church, they see a storefront church, and they say, Lord, bless them, right? They, 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 they think big. Right, then there's shallow Christians versus deep Christians, right? And that deep Christians, Jesus is not their crutch, but the teachings of Jesus is their foundation. Then there's lukewarm Christians versus uh, a, a woman, a man of God with zeal for the Father's house, right? These are people that when they go to the Father's house, they say like, "What can I leave? What can I bring? What can I do?" In the can I come with a word to stir up, cheer up, build up? Can I help pick up an equipment? Can I help with a broom? Can I help clean up? Can I help bring a donut? Right? They have zeal for the father's house. Right? And then um, I kind of repeated myself. There's carnal Christians, and I would say sanctified Christians, right? People who are willing to sacrifice some of their desires for God's will. And so when you live out this type of faith, right, this more zealous approach, you have to understand that there's a difference between daily communion and occasional attendance to church. Psalms chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Delight, right? You delight in reading God's word. Meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank. 
bearing fruit in each season. Are you bearing fruit in your 60 seasons? Are you bearing fruit in your parenting, the little one season, right? We're in different seasons for different reasons, but you always want to bear fruit because there's a fruit you have to bear for this season. And you can't keep talking about the picture of the old pomegranates that grew out of you 10 years ago. And their leaves never wither. And they prosper in all they do. Right? And spiritual richness is cultivated through persistent devotion. Something as simple as reading our daily bread every day and saying a prayer and taking our daily bread reflections and reading them again at 2 o'clock. <coughs> This will help us transform and renew our minds. I wish I had time to talk about like the oxytocin, the dopamine, but reconfiguring your drives to be connected to the divine. All right. And it is active pursuit versus passive dreaming. James one twenty two. But just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And we need to have a faith action plan, right? I go to midweek. I try to go to, to, to uh, marriage twice, once a month. Every time it, it, I prioritize celebration service and I prioritize being a winning witness and inviting a friend, I tithe. I give the brackets of my day to the Lord. I pray one minute at one o'clock, right? We have an active pursuit. Then this foundation verse crutch. First Corinthians 3.11 says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone of our lives. Church as a base versus church as a service provider. Ephesians 4.11 through 12. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do God's work, to build up the church, the body of Christ, right? So my responsibility is to impart, instruct, inspire, instill, correct, connect, right? You to kingdom principles, to the person and principles of Jesus Christ, so you could build up the church because you the church. The church is not just a place to receive, but a community to contribute to and grow with. It's a forge where faith is tempered and believers are equipped for service, right? The church is what? To worship God, to equip, equip the believers, and to change the world. So the simplicity of faith versus complexity. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 to 30. And I mean, you could focus on the scripture for the whole month of March and just be blown away. Right? You can do a big word cloud of what this scripture means. Take my yoke, right? Connect to Jesus. Let Jesus drive you. Let Jesus pull the weight. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Christ-centered spirituality is embracing the simple and profound relationship with Jesus at the center. And the last thing I want to plant in your heart is gospel-centered versus religion-centered. Right? We're talking about certain contrasts, choosing the greater for God's glory. Right? 
So religion says, I obey, therefore I accept it. Gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I joyfully obey, right? And so when you're dealing with motivational drives, religion motivation is based on fear and insecurity. Gospel is based on grateful joy. Religion obedience is driven from I obey God in order to get things from God. It's transactional. Gospel is I obey God to get God, to delight and resemble him, to connect and project, to go from glory to glory, that Jesus is the reward. We're looking for the face, not just the hand. Can I hear an amen? Right? In circumstances, religion, when circumstances of my life go wrong, I'm mad at God or myself. Since I believe that anyone who's good deserves a comfortable life. When you're gospel-centered, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, but I know my punishment fell on Jesus. And that while God may allow this from my training for reigning, he will exercise his fatherly love within my trials. In criticism, dealing with criticism, a, a religious-minded a religious person, when I'm cr criticized, I'm furious or devastated. Because it's critical that I think of myself as a good person. The rest of my self-image may be destroyed at all costs. When you're gospel-centered, because when I'm criticized, I struggle. But it's not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My, my identity is not built on my record or performance, but on God's love for me in Christ Jesus. So the two long didn't recap. We have to shift from passive to active, from superficial to foundational. Abiding a dynamic relationship with Jesus. We're ramping up for Easter. We're coming to Easter to explode in praise on Resurrection Sunday, to walk in victory. Let us cultivate our faith that not, not just believes, but truly lived out every day. So still this sermon in 33 words. To, we got we got to remove ourselves from tradition and lukewarm faith to fired up discipleship, embracing daily communion, active pursuit, and being part of the church's role to transform the world, to create a vibrant and living faith that shapes our lives and the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, stir our hearts from complacency and apathy to zeal and passion. Transform us into vessels of your dunamis, dynamic love and grace. Let us not be sleepy, sleepy Christians. Awaken us to the beauty of life and fully surrender to you. Thriving in the richness of your presence and your principle and being the joy and being taking joy in your service. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.